terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So I wonder what you thought when you heard those, uh, that first reading uh, from, from the Psalms, that blessed are all those who fear in the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. It's a bit of a strange one, isn't it, when we, when we read that? Um, I was reading early, earlier in this week about uh, the great stock market crash on Wall Street in 1929. Uh, the American economist Irving Fisher uh, built up this entire uh, speculative trading empire and said, we have reached the, the heights of prosperity, but there's only one place we can go. We can only keep going up. There's going to be no crash. There will be no debilitating issues with our economy. And actually, some um, ministers reading these words here would say, blessings and prosperity will be yours. You will eat the fruits of your labor. There's a, there's a speculative trading crash. A whole bunch of people were indicted for, um, for fraud and pretty much the entire world economy was wiped out on one Monday in September 1929. Blessings and prosperity will be yours, was what was being said on, that, on the Sunday beforehand. So what do we do with a passage like this? Well, let me pray as we, as we have a look uh, at God's word this morning and consider uh, what the psalmist is talking to us about. Father God, I pray that you would be speaking to us this morning, that you would be speaking to our hearts, speaking to our minds, that you would be speaking through me your word, that you would be showing us where we are in error, affirming and reassuring us where we are, walking in your paths. Lord, have mercy on us this morning. Amen. So I think for, for most of us, this does sound quite bizarre. To be told that blessed are all those who fear in the Lord, and blessings and prosperity will be yours if you do that. It sounds too much like the easy road out. Health and wealth and prosperity, and all of this can be yours. But yet it's, it is still in our Bibles. It is still what the psalmist says. Uh, to the, all of the people of God walking up to Jerusalem. And Eugene Peterson, the, um, the great Bible translator, uh, uh, great pastor, actually reflected on this and said, well, perhaps we've got the framework wrong. Perhaps it's, it isn't so much about uh, how we're thinking about it, but how we're thinking about the Christian life. He reflected actually that from this, this psalm, it seems to be saying that the, 
easiest thing in the world is to be a Christian. The easiest thing in the world is to be a Christian. That there is blessing. That there is fruit and prosperity. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So what is, what is this blessing that seems to be on, on offer here, that seems to be promised here? Well, this is the same blessing that is uh, promised throughout uh, the Old Testament, throughout the Bible in, 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 as a whole. And um, we're actually going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount uh, in the next few weeks, uh, which goes deep into those blessings, those uh, divine blessing for human flourishing. But in this context... It is blessed to all who fear in the Lord. Those who eat the fruit of their labor, those who do work, those who have fruitful things to do. Now, not many of us in our modern society have uh, a farm, have the, the crops that we grow, and therefore that we can eat, literally eat the fruits of our labor. Uh, I know Pete does, though. Um, but I personally, my garden out the back of the house is uh, somewhat overgrown and uh, it, it, I don't eat any of the fruits of it because I'm not laboring in it whatsoever. <laughs> and yet, this, this blessing is there for eating the fruits of our labor. It is a, a blessing for those who do work in God's economy and do work in God's world and are rewarded for it who get things out of it. Verse 3 then continues on with this, what can kind of seem to be a bit strange in our, in our uh, world. It's a strange imagery of your wife being like a fruitful vine within your house. I don't, although Kat does have an um, interesting floral print on her dress, and floral prints are the, the big rage for... Um, for, for, for many women's clothing at the moment. So perhaps that's what it's saying. Is, is that what it's saying? No. This is, this is typical imagery of uh, the family, the, the group, that the, the people around you being fruitful, being a blessing. Your wife is like a fruitful vine. Your children will be like olive shoots. Um, my kids aren't particularly much like olive shoots. Olive shoots probably stay still a lot and, you know, mine are constantly running around. What does, what does this even mean? This is, this is the agricultural imagery that is so foreign to our ears. But it is a reflection of the blessing, the things that you enjoy in life. Fruitful vines, wine in season and out of season. Children like olive shoots, the delicacies of the ancient world, olives. This is a picture of abundant blessing. Abundant blessing in work and abundant blessing in family. It's a good picture. It's a really good picture. But it's one I think we often miss because it sounds so bizarre. But I think Two, we often miss it, not just because it sounds bizarre, but because it sounds really difficult. What happens when we, if you don't have a job that you enjoy? What happens when the fruit of your labor doesn't bring blessings and prosperity, but it brings hardship and times of trial? When you just 
hate your job. When things aren't going well for you. Well, I think for our society, we often go, well, at least if I can work hard at, at my job, then I can come home to a pleasant life. We have uh, all the, the sayings in our society of, you know, Monday is the, the worst day of the week. You have the Monday-itis. And then you get to Wednesday. Wednesday is the glorious downhill slide over the hump. Hump day Wednesday, you can slide down to the weekend. You have clothing lines which proudly proclaim that you're working for the weekend. You're working for the end so you can rest. You have uh, food like um, restaurants called Thank God It's Friday because that way you can roll into the weekend and rest. And so we prioritise the, the family, the, the rest and the, the home life as opposed to work. But what then happens when the home life, when the rest isn't actually that restful, when there's conflict at home, when there's struggle, when children keep you up at night, when things don't seem to be working out in the family? Well, I think what happens in it for, for our society is we often flip back the other way. We go, well, at least we can go to work and, be, and work hard, and many people be, just become workaholics. We have the term workaholic for a reason, because we flip-flop, don't we, between idolising the family, idolising the rest that we get, the jet ski in the garage, not so much for, for, for our context, but um, or, or we end up at work having to pay for all the rest that we're doing. It's a bizarre sort of picture, isn't it? So what's the psalm say to this? What's the catch, if you like? Well, it's rather simple, isn't it? Verse 1 and verse 4, we have the, that repeated refrain, Blessed are all those who fear in the Lord. Verse 4, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. Now, I must admit that sound does sound rather sexist. And it, the psalmist is speaking to men here, but it is really speaking to all of us as the people of God. Because... This isn't just a command for individuals. See, the thing with the, the, these psalms, the psalm of ascents especially, these ones which are titled, if you look in the Bibles, it's, it will say just underneath the psalm um, name, it will say a, a song of ascents or a psalm of ascents. These psalms are titled to the people of God as they are walking up the hill to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on a rocky outcrop, um, surrounded by uh, what we in, in Melbourne would definitely call mountains. Uh, you, know, if you have to go up. They're really hills in most parts of the world because you know, Australia is rather flat overall. But you have to go up there. And so people would go up on pilgrimage together as a people of God, singing these songs. Blessed are all who fear in the Lord, as big groups, as families, as extended families walking up to Jerusalem. And so it sounds rather simple, doesn't it? 
Fear the Lord. Fear him. What does that even mean? Is that it sounds a bit bizarre if you're walking up to worship God and you're saying you have to fear the Lord. Doesn't that mean you should be, you know, hightailing it in the opposite direction? Because you generally don't walk towards something that you fear. The grizzly bear, the dark alleyway. These are all things that our society says to fear, to run in the opposite direction. Pull your money out of the stock market before it's going to crash. No, fear in this context is respect and awe. And in many ways, it has connotations of love and devotion, desire. It is a a term of utter respect and awe for a God who is so great. So fear the Lord. How do we fear? Well, verse 1, walk in obedience to him. Walk along that way up towards Jerusalem. And so the psalmist is calling for his people to come together with him and walk on that path, the path up towards Jerusalem. But that for us, one, physically it's rather hard in Melbourne. We, we don't, it's, it'd be a rather long pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But two, it's often just as hard for us to think about what it means to fear the Lord. We struggle, I think, often to walk in his ways. We want uh, to walk where we want to walk. We want, don't want to walk together with the people of God up to Jerusalem. We want to go where we want. I know I regularly want to go and do what I want to do. It's hard often to be constantly and continuously walking in his path. And two, this whole thing about being bound to work and to family, that just sounds bizarre, doesn't it? So in our culture, they're the things that we don't want to be bound to. We want to have the job that we can enjoy and do what we want when we want. We don't want to necessarily be bound to a family that locks us in one location and we want, we want to be able to wander free to do what we want to do. We want freedom. And not just in the kitsch, Scottish, braveheart sense of lifting your kilt at the English. We want freedom to be people who we want to be, to define ourselves as we want to define ourselves. But... As well, what happens if we don't have a job? What happens if our family life is hard? What does flourishing even look like then? Well, I think sadly for for many people, it means running away. It means not walking on that path. And yet the path is there for us. So... How then should we think about walking on that path? And the psalmist here, I think, helps us again. As he continues on, May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. In the context of a psalm which is in the set as people walking up to Jerusalem. 
This isn't just about the plotting of looking at where you're going in the next step. It's not just about the trying to force yourself on your own to plod along a path as one step in front of the other. But it is the psalmist here wants, you to, wants the people of God, as they're walking up to Jerusalem, to lift their eyes, lift their eyes up to where they're going, to lift their eyes up to the horizon, to the temple of the Lord, to Zion, which is sitting up there on the hill, as they're walking up towards Jerusalem. And I think we see a little bit more of what this is like when we consider the picture of Zion the, the, in the Old Testament uh, the quite regularly used two terms for Jerusalem, not just the physical Jerusalem, but Zion, this idea of Jerusalem which is so much greater than the physical reality. There is something further to look forward to, not just a physical location, but something which is transcendence, heavenly. It's not just imminent in this world. And two, in, the, in our second reading, we saw that in Hebrews, didn't we? We saw that as we have come to not just a physical Jerusalem, not just a mountain with fire, but to, to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, coming to thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. This is not just a physical location that we are drawn to, but it is our heavenly location. It is what is brought in through Jesus, what is ushered in through the cross. It isn't just a physical reality of what we have in front of us, but it's something far greater. It is what we might call an eschatological, an apocalyptic reality. Eschatological, it's something that is at the end. It is something that is beyond us, something that is coming from afar, something that we need to be far-sighted in order to be able to see, not just focused on what's in front of us. It's apocalyptic. It's breaking in. It's something that is so outside of our sphere of reality. We talk about apocalyptic bushfires that are earth-shattering, earth-changing. That's what this is. This is something that is coming for us, which we cannot, cannot change, which we cannot do in and of ourselves, but we instead can look forward to. It is something coming that for us in many ways looks so different to our reality that it is often hard to process. But at the same time, it is often is also here in the cross, in Jesus dying and rising again. We see a picture of that, what it is for that to be breaking in just a little bit for the curtain to be opened for us, to see the light shining through for just a glimpse of what is to come. And so quite often, I think, we end up with our eyes focused at our feet, plodding along one step after another. And we fail to lift our eyes to the horizon, 
We fail to look up to Zion to see what is coming. We fail to see what has been brought in that radically changes our world. And so let's revisit those areas of blessing. The blessing of work. How is it that we should be thinking about work? Blessed are those who are fruitful in their work. Well, our world, I think, often tells us it's all about acquisition and accumulation. Irving Fisher, in seeing the great stock market um, before him, wanted to accumulate everything that he could. His brag to his uh, Yale buddies was that he had made more money than any person who had come before him. It's all about accumulation and acquisition. And yet, what this says is that we'll be um, blessing is to be fruitful and to eat the fruit of our labors. It's less about the great uh, accumulation of wealth, but rather about contentment. The blessing of, of the, the life of a believer, the life of one who fears the Lord, is that we can relax and rely on God to give us, as Calvin reflects, give us today our daily bread, reflecting on on the Lord's Prayer. It is contentment here in what the Lord provides rather than accumulation, which just turns to covetousness. How does this happen? Well, I trust that it's only through the cross that changes us from within that reveals that to us, that shows us the Zion that is coming. What then about family? What is this blessing of family then for us? And I think this one's especially hard because for our society, family is something that is often quite narrow. Uh, There's an old ad... um, from the, from the 90s, which is in, incredibly dated, but uh, it, it's an ad for the Ford Laser, that wonderful little uh, runabout car, uh, the, the epitome of motoring, isn't it? That says, the Australian family is, on average, 2.3 children. And it, there's a, a little kid with a 0.3 on, the, on, the, on his top. And he says, I'm the 0.3. And shows him squished into this car with the rest of the family. But no, the Ford Laser goes one step further. He has room. The 0.3 has room to grow. This is what my generation was told about what the Australian family was. Mother and dad and 2.3 children. I don't know what happens to that point three when they grow up, but you know, on average, that point three is uh, has room to grow in a Ford Laser. And so we think about the family as this narrow, nuclear, tightly knit thing that has as self-sufficient has nothing outside of itself. When the context of for the for the for the Israelites as they're walking up to Jerusalem walking up with their families, their extended families, the aunts, the uncles, 
the um, you know all those hangers-on which are part of your family, but you don't not really sure as how you're related to Uncle Joe, but he's been there every single other time you've done that pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, so he must be part of your family. And he kind of brings um, all those really weird tales about living off in some distant land. And so he's kind of funny. This is what family means for the the psalmist, for speaking to the people walking up to Jerusalem. In, In that context, which is so far removed from ours, this blessing is about the sharing of life, enjoying the good things of the family, giving to others, being given to, receiving from others. It's about communities providing for one another, blessing each other, providing for each other in abundance. That, I think, for our world is just as radical as being content in what we have, in seeking to bless the people around us. This Psalm is a promise of great blessing. It is a promise of having so much more than we could ever imagine. But it's a psalm that isn't ignorant of the sorrow that occurs. No, fearing the Lord here isn't just a reduction to getting everything that you want, having all of your heart's desires. But it's being content in the Lord, being content in what we have. It's a psalm that promises that we'll be content in what we have and therefore that we'll be expanded in our capacity to fill up this life with God's joy, with God's blessing for us. But it is conditional, isn't it? It's conditional on walking in that path towards Zion, towards the heavenly Jerusalem, walking in God's ways. Because as one commentator puts it, if you start walking against the grain, if you start walking off that path, it's a bit like woodworking, where you run your hand along the smooth grain. But if you run your hand the other way, you start to get splinters. This is a call for us as a people of God, for us in, and I think for us in 2020, as much as it is in the 6th century BC when this was written, to be walking in step, in line with God, to be far-sighted, to keep our eyes on that heavenly vision, to be looking forward to that new reality, to blessing each other, to reminding each other of what we have in, in Christ, reminding each other what we have in each other, to be able to be content in Jesus, to be able to be content in what he has given us. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that in Christ you have given us all things. And I pray that you would help us to be content in that, to be able to be blessed by you in this reality, to keep our eyes fixed on the horizon, to be walking in your ways, that we may receive your blessings 
for us in human flourishing. Amen.